Isis Audiobooks presents an unabridged recording of The Amazing Morris and His Educated Rodents, written by Terry Pratchett, read by Stephen Briggs. Chapter One. One day, when he was naughty, Mr. Bunsey looked over the hedge into Farmer Fred's field and saw it was full of fresh green lettuces. Mr. Bunsey, however, was not full of lettuces. This did not seem fair. From Mr. Bunsey Has an Adventure. Rats. They chased the dogs and bit the cats. They... But there was more to it than that. As the amazing Morris said, it was just a story about people and rats, and the difficult part of it was deciding who the people were and who were the rats. But Melissa Grimm said it was a story about stories. It began, part of it began, on the mail coach that came over the mountains from the distant cities of the plain. This was the part of the journey that the driver didn't like. The way wound through forests and around mountains on crumbling roads, there were deep shadows between the trees. Sometimes he thought things were following the coach, keeping just out of sight. It gave him the willies. And on this journey, the really big willy was that he could hear voices. He was sure of it. They were coming from behind him, from the top of the coach, and there was nothing there but the big oilcloth mail sacks and the young man's luggage. There was certainly nothing big enough for a person to hide inside, but occasionally he was sure he heard squeaky voices whispering. There was only one passenger at this point. He was a fair-haired young man, sitting all by himself inside the rocking coach and reading a book. He was reading slowly and aloud, and moving his finger over the words. Uberwald, he read aloud. That's Uberwald, said a small, squeaky but very clear voice. The dots make it a sort of long oo sound, but you're doing well. Uberwalt, there's such a thing as too much pronunciation, kid, said another voice, which sounded half asleep. But you know the best thing about Uberwalt? It's a long, long way from Stolat. It's a long way from Pseudopolis. It's a long way from anywhere where the head of the watch says he'll have us boiled alive if he ever catches us. And it's not very modern. Bad roads. Lots of mountains in the way. People don't move about much up here, so news doesn't travel very fast, see? And they probably don't have policemen. Kid, we can make a fortune here. Morris, said the boy carefully. Yes, kid? You don't think what we're doing is, you know, dishonest, do you? There was a pause before the voice said, How do you mean, dishonest? Well... We take their money, Morris. The coach rocked and bounced over a pothole. All right, said the unseen Morris, but what you've got to ask yourself is, who do we take the money from, actually? Well, it's generally the mayor or the city council or someone like that. Right, and that means it's... What? I've told you this bit before. Er... Uh, it is government money, kid, said Morris patiently. Say it. Government money. Government money, said the boy obediently. Right. And what do governments do with money? Uh, they, they play soldiers, said Morris. They have wars. In fact, we probably stopped a lot of wars by taking the money and putting it where it can do any harm. They'd put up statues to us if they thought about it. Some of those towns looked pretty poor, Morris, said the kid doubtfully. Hey, just the kind of places that don't need wars, then. Dangerous Beans says it's... The boy concentrated, and his lips moved before he said the word, as if he was trying out the pronunciation to himself. Uh, it's unethical. That's right, Morris, 
said the squeaky voice. Dangerous Beans says we shouldn't live by trickery. Listen, Peaches, trickery is what humans are all about, said the voice of Morris. They're so keen on tricking one another all the time that they elect governments to do it for them. We give them value for money. They get a horrible plague of rats. They pay a rat piper. The rats all follow the kid out of town, hoppity-skip. End of plague. Everyone's happy that no one's whittling in the flower anymore. The government gets re-elected by a grateful population. General celebration all round. Money well spent, in my opinion. But there's only a plague because we make them think there is, said the voice of Peaches. Well, my dear... Another thing all those little governments spend their money on is rat catchers, see? I don't know why I bother with a lot of you. I really don't. Yes, but we... They realised that the coach had stopped. Outside, in the rain, there was the jingle of harness. Then the coach rocked a little, and there was the sound of running feet. A voice from out of the darkness said, Are there any wizards in there? The occupants looked at one another in puzzlement. No said the kid, the kind of no that means, why are you asking? How about any witches, said the voice. No, no witches, said the kid. Right. Are there any heavily armed trolls employed by the mail coach company in there? I doubt it, said Morris. There was a moment's pause, filled with the sound of the rain. OK. How about werewolves, said the voice eventually. The speaker sounded as though he was working through a list. "'What do they look like?' said the kid. "'Oh, well, they look perfectly normal right up to the point where they grow all like hair and teeth and giant paws and leap through the window at you,' said the voice. "'We've all got hair and teeth,' said the kid. "'Is that any help?' "'So you are werewolves, then?' "'No.' "'Fine, fine.' There was another pause filled with rain. Okay, vampires, said the voice. It's a wet night. You wouldn't want to be flying in weather like this. Any vampires in there? No, said the kid. We're all perfectly harmless. Oh, boy, muttered Morris and crawled under the seat. That's a relief, said the voice. You can't be too careful these days. There's a lot of funny people about. A crossbow was pushed through the window and the voice said, Your money and your life. It's a two-for-one deal, see? The money's in the case on the roof, said Morris's voice from floor level. The highwayman looked around the dark interior of the coach. Who said that? He said. Er, uh, me, said the boy. I didn't see your lips move, kid. Uh, the money is on the roof, uh, in the case. But if I was you, I wouldn't. <laughs> I just suspect you wouldn't, said the highwayman. His masked face disappeared from the window. The boy picked up the pipe that was lying on the seat beside him. It was the type still known as a penny whistle, although no one could remember when they'd ever cost only a penny. "'Play robbery with violence, kid,' said Morris quietly. "'Couldn't we just give him money?' said the voice of Peaches. It was a little voice. "'Money is for people to give us,' said Morris sternly. Above them they heard the scrape of the case on the roof of the coach as the highwayman dragged it down. The boy obediently picked up the flute and played a few notes. And now there were a number of sounds. There was a creak, a thud, a sort of scuffling noise, and then a very short scream. When there was silence, Morris climbed back onto the seat and poked his head out of the coach into the dark and rainy night. "'Good man,' he said. "'Sensible. The more you struggle, the harder they bite. Probably not broken skin yet. Good. Come forward a bit so I can see you. But carefully, eh? We don't want anyone to panic, do we? The highwayman reappeared in the light of the coach lamps. He was walking very slowly and carefully, with his legs spread wide apart. And he was quietly whimpering. Ah, there you are, said Morris cheerfully. Went straight up your trouser legs, did they? Typical rat trick. Just nod, cos we don't want to set him off. No telling where it might end. The highwayman nodded very slowly. Then his eyes narrowed. "'You're a cat,' he mumbled. Then his eyes crossed and he gasped. "'Did I say talk?' said Morris. "'I don't think I said talk, did I? 
Did the coachman run away, or did you kill him? The man's face went blank. Ah, a quick learner. I like that in a highwayman, said Morris. You can answer that question. Ran away, said the highwayman hoarsely. Morris stuck his head back inside the coach. Why do you think, he said. Coach, four horses, probably some valuables in the mailbags, could be, oh, a thousand dollars or more. The kid could drive it, worth a try. That's stealing, Morris, said Peaches. She was sitting on the seat beside the kid. She was a rat. Not stealing as such, said Morris. More finding. The driver's run away, so it's like salvage. Hey, that's right, we could turn it in for the reward. That's much better. Legal, too, shall we? People would ask too many questions, said Peaches. If we just leave it, someone yelp will steal it, wailed Morris. Some thief will take it away. Much better if we take it, eh? We're not thieves. We will leave it, Morris, said Peaches. In that case, let's steal the highwayman's horse, said Morris, as if the night wouldn't be properly finished unless they stole something. Stealing from a thief isn't stealing, because it cancels out. We can't stay here all night, said the kid to Peaches. He's got a point. That's right, said the highwayman urgently. You can't stay here all night. That's right, said a chorus of voices from his trousers. We can't stay here all night. Morris sighed and stuck his head out of the window again. OK, he said. This is what we're going to do. You're going to stand very still, looking straight in front of you, and you won't try any tricks, because if you do, I've only got to say the word. Don't say the word, said the highwayman, even more urgently. Right, said Morris. And we'll take your horse as punishment, and you can have a coach, because that'll be stealing, and only thieves are allowed to steal. Fair enough? Anything you say, said the highwayman. And then he thought about this and added hurriedly, But please don't say anything. He kept staring straight ahead. He saw the boy and the cat get out of the coach. He heard various sounds behind him as they took his horse, and he thought about his sword. All right, he was going to get a whole mail coach out of this deal, but there was such a thing as professional pride. All right, said the voice of the cat after a while. We're all going to leave now, and you've got to promise not to move until we're gone. Promise? You have my word as a thief, said the highwayman, slowly lowering a hand to his sword. Right, we certainly trust you, said the voice of the cat. The man felt his trousers lighten as the rats poured out and scampered away, and he heard the jingle of harness. He waited a moment, then spun around, drew his sword and ran forward. Slightly forward, in any case. He wouldn't have hit the ground so hard if someone hadn't tied his bootlaces together. They said he was amazing. The amazing Morris, they said. He'd never meant to be amazing. It had just happened. He'd realised something was odd that day, just after lunch, when he'd looked into a reflection in the puddle and thought, that's me. He'd never been aware of himself before. Of course, it was hard to remember how he'd thought before he became amazing. It seemed to him that his mind had been just a kind of soup. And then there had been the rats that lived under the rubbish heap in one corner of his territory. He'd realised there was something educated about the rats when he jumped on one and it had said, Can we talk about this? And part of his amazing new brain had told him you couldn't eat someone who could talk. At least, not until you'd heard what they'd got to say. The rat had been Peaches. She wasn't like other rats, nor were dangerous beans. Donut enter, dark tan, ham and pork, big savings, toxy, and all the rest of them. But then, Morris wasn't like other cats anymore. Other cats were, suddenly, stupid. Morris started to hang around with the rats instead. They were someone to talk to. He got on fine so long as he remembered not to eat anyone they knew. The rats spent a lot of time worrying about why they were suddenly so clever. Morris considered that this was a waste of time. Stuff happened. But the rats went on and on about whether it was something on the rubbish heap that they'd eaten, and even Morris could see that that wouldn't explain how he'd got changed, because he'd never eaten rubbish. And he certainly wouldn't eat any rubbish off that heap, seeing as where it came from. 
he considered that the rats were, quite frankly, dumb. Clever, okay, but dumb. Morris had lived on the streets for four years and barely had any ears left and scars all over his nose, and he was smart. He swaggered so much when he walked that if he didn't slow down, he flipped himself over. When he fluffed out his tail, people had to step around it. He reckoned you had to be smart to live for four years on these streets, especially with all the dog gangs and freelance furriers. One wrong move and you were lunch and a pair of gloves. Yes, you had to be smart. You also had to be rich. This took some explaining to the rats, but Morris had roamed the city and learned how things worked, and money, he said, was the key to everything. And then one day he'd seen the stupid-looking kid playing the flute with his cap in front of him for pennies, and it had an idea. An amazing idea. It just turned up. Bang. All at once. Rats. Flute. Stupid-looking kid. And he'd said, Hey, stupid-looking kid, how would you like to make your fortune, kid? I'm down here. Dawn was breaking when the highwayman's horse came out of the forests, over a pass, and was reined to a halt in a convenient wood. The river valley stretched out below, with a town hunched up against the cliffs. Morris clambered out of the saddlebag and stretched. The stupid-looking kid helped the rats out of the other bag. They'd spent the journey hunched up on the money, although they were too polite to say that this was because no one wanted to sleep in the same bag as the cat. "'What's the name of the town, kid?' he said, sitting on a rock and looking down at the town. Behind them, the rats were counting the money again, stacking it in piles beside its leather bag. They did this every day. Even though he had no pockets, there was something about Morris that made everyone want to check their change as often as possible. "'It's called Bad Blintz,' said the kid, referring to the guidebook. "'Ahem. Should we be going there if it's bad?' said Peaches, looking up from the counting. "'Ha! It's not called bad because it's bad,' said Morris. "'That's foreign language for bath, see?' "'So it's really called bath blints,' said Donut Enter. "'Nah, nah, they call it bath because—' "'The amazing Morris hesitated, but only for a moment. "'Because they got a bath, see?' Very backward place, this. Not many bears around. But they've got one, and they're very proud of it, so they want everyone to know. You probably have to buy tickets even to have a look at it. Is that true, Morris? said Dangerous Beans. He asked the question quite politely, but it was clear that what he was really saying was, I don't think that is true, Morris. Ah, yes. Dangerous Beans. Dangerous Beans was difficult to deal with. Really, he shouldn't be. Back in the old days, Morris thought, he wouldn't even have eaten a rat so small and pale and generally ill-looking. Morris stared down at the little albino rat with its snow-white fur and pinky eyes. Dangerous Beans did not stare back because he was too short-sighted. Of course, being nearly blind was not too much of a drawback to a species that spent most of its time in the darkness and had a sense of smell that was, as far as Morris could understand it, almost as good as sight and sound and speech all put together. For example, the rat always turned to face Morris and looked directly at him when he spoke. It was uncanny. Morris had known a blind cat that walked into doors a lot, but Dangerous Beans never did that. Dangerous Beans wasn't the head rat. That was Ham and Pork's job. Ham and Pork was big and fierce and a bit scabby, and he didn't much like having a new-fangled brain, and he certainly didn't like talking to a cat. He'd been quite old when the rats had changed, as they called it, and he'd said he was too old to change. He left talking to Morris, to Dangerous Beans, who'd been born just after the change. And that little rat was clever. Incredibly clever. Too clever. Morris needed all his tricks when he was dealing with Dangerous Beans. "'It's amazing, the stuff I know,' said Morris, blinking slowly at him. "'Anyway, it's a nice-looking town. Looks rich to me. Now what we'll do is—' Morris hated that sound. If there was a sound worse than dangerous beans asking one of his odd little questions, it was Peaches clearing her throat. It meant she was going to say something, very quietly, which was going to upset him. "'Yes,' he said sharply. "'Do we really need to keep on doing this?' she said. 
Well, of course, no, said Morris. I don't have to be here at all. I'm a cat, right? A cat with my talents? Ha! I could have got myself a really cushy job with a conjurer, or a ventriloquist, maybe. There's no end of the things I could be doing, right? Because people like cats. But owing to being incredibly, you know, stupid and kind-hearted, I decided to help a bunch of rodents who are, let's be frank here, not exactly number one favourites with humans. Now, some of you, and here he cast a yellow eye towards dangerous beans, have some idea of going to some island somewhere and starting up a kind of rat civilization of your very own, which I think is very, you know, admirable. But for that you need... What did I tell you that you need? Money, Morris, said Dangerous Beans, but... Money, that's right, cause what can you get with money? He looked around the rats. It begins with a B, he prompted. Boats, Morris, but... And then there's all the tools you'll need, and food, of course. There's coconuts, said the stupid-looking kid who was polishing his flute. Oh, did someone speak, said Morris. What do you know about it, kid? You get coconuts, said the kid, on desert islands. A man selling them told me. How, said Morris. He wasn't too sure about coconuts. I don't know. You just get them. Oh, I suppose they grow on trees, do they? said Morris sarcastically. Sheesh, I just don't know what you lot would do without... Anyone? he glared at the group. Begins with an M? You, Morris, said Dangerous Beans. But you see, what we think is really... Yes, said Morris. Ahem, said Peaches. Morris groaned. What dangerous beans means, said the female rat, is that all this stealing grains and cheese and gnawing holes in walls is, well, she looked up into Morris's yellow eyes, is not morally right. But it's what rats do, said Morris. But we feel we shouldn't, said dangerous beans. We should be making our own way in the world. Oh dear, oh dear, oh dear, said Morris, shaking his head. Hole for the island, eh? The kingdom of the rats. Not that I'm laughing at your dream, he added hastily. Everyone needs their little dreams. Morris truly believed that, too. If he knew what it was that people really, really wanted, you very nearly controlled them. Sometimes he wondered what the stupid-looking kid really, really wanted. Nothing, as far as Morris could tell, but to be allowed to play his flute and be left alone. But, well, it was like that thing with the coconuts. Every so often the kid would come out with something that suggested he'd been listening all along. People like that are hard to steer. But cats are good at steering people. A meow here, a purr there, a little gentle pressure with a claw. And Morris had never had to think about it before. Cats didn't have to think. They just had to know what they wanted. Humans had to do the thinking. That's what they were for. Morris thought about the good old days before his brain had started whizzing like a firework. He'd turn up at the door of the university kitchens and look sweet, and then the cooks would try to work out what he wanted. It was amazing. They'd say things like, Does you want a bowl of milk, den? Does you want a biscuit? Does you want these nice scraps, den? And all Morris would have to do was wait patiently until they got to a sound he recognised, like turkey legs or minced lamb. But he was sure he'd never eaten anything magical. There was no such thing as enchanted chicken giblets, were there? It was the rats who'd eaten the magical stuff. The dump they called home, and also called lunch, was round the back of the university. And it was a university for wizards, after all. The old Morris hadn't paid much attention to people who weren't holding bowls, but he was aware that the big men in pointy hats made strange things happen. And now he knew what happened to the stuff they used, too. It got tossed over the wall when they'd finished with it. All the old worn-out spell books and the stubs of the dribbly candles and the remains of the green bubbly stuff in the cauldrons all ended up on the big dump, along with the tin cans and old boxes and the kitchen waste. Well, the wizards had put up signs saying, 
dangerous and toxic. But the rats hadn't been able to read in those days, and they liked dribbly candle ends. Morris had never eaten anything off the dump. A good motto in life, he'd reckoned, was don't eat anything that glows. But he'd become intelligent too. At about the same time as the rats. It was a mystery. Since then, he'd done what cats always did. He steered people. Now some of the rats counted as people too, of course. But people were people, even if they had four legs and had called themselves names like Dangerous Beans, which is the kind of name you give yourself if you learn to read before you understood what all the words actually meant, and reading the warning notices and the labels on the old rusty cans gave you names you liked the sound of. The trouble with thinking was that once you started, you went on doing it. And as far as Morris was concerned, the rats were thinking a good deal too much. It was Peaches who was the worst. Morris's usual trick of just talking fast until people got confused didn't work on her at all. Ahem, she began. We think that this should be the last time. Morris stared. The other rats backed away slightly, but Peaches just stared back. This must be the very last time we do the silly plague of rats trick, said Peaches, and that's final. And what does Ham and Pork think about this, said Morris. He turned to the head rat, who had been watching them. It was always a good idea appealing to Ham and Pork when Peaches was giving trouble, because he didn't like her very much. "'What do you mean, think?' said Ham and Pork. "'I, sir, I think we should stop doing this trick,' said Peaches, dipping her head nervously. "'Oh, you think too, do you?' said Ham and Pork. "'Everyone's thinking these days. I think there's a good deal too much of this thinking, that's what I think.' We never thought about thinking when I were a lad. We'd never get anything done if we thought first. He gave Morris a glare too. Ham and Pork didn't like Morris. He didn't like most things that had happened since the change. In fact, Morris wondered how long Ham and Pork was going to last as leader. He didn't like thinking. He belonged to the days when a rat leader just had to be big and stroppy. The world was moving far too fast for him now, which made him angry. He wasn't so much leading now as being pushed. I, dangerous beans, sir, believes that we should be thinking of settling down, sir, said Peaches. Morris scowled. Ham and Pork wouldn't listen to Peaches, and she knew it, but dangerous beans was the nearest thing the rats had to a wizard, and even big rats listened to him. I thought we were going to get on a boat and find an island somewhere, said Ham and Pork. Very ratty places, boats, he added approvingly. Then he went on, with a slightly nervous and slightly annoyed look at Dangerous Beans, "'And people tell me that we need this money stuff, because now we can do all this thinking, we've got to be eff, uh, eff, uh, ethical, sir,' said Dangerous Beans, "'which sounds unratty to me. Not that my opinion counts for anything, it seems,' said Hammond Pork. "'We've got enough money, sir,' said Peaches. "'We've already got a lot of money. "'We have got a lot of money, haven't we, Morris?' "'It wasn't a question. "'It was a kind of accusation. "'Well, when you say a lot,' Morris began. "'And in fact we got more money than we thought,' said Peaches, "'still in the same tone of voice. "'It was very polite, but it just kept going "'and it asked all the wrong questions. "'A wrong question for Morris was one that he didn't want anyone to ask.' Peaches gave her little cough again. The reason I say we've got more money, Morris, is that you said gold coins were shiny like the moon and silver coins were shiny like the sun and you'd keep all the silver coins. In fact, Morris, that's the wrong way around. It's the silver coins that are shiny like the moon. Morris thought a rude word in cat's language, which has a great many of them. What was the point of education, he thought, if people went out afterwards and used it? So we think, sir, said Dangerous Beans to Ham and Pork, that after this one last time we should share out the money and go our separate ways. Besides, it's getting dangerous to keep repeating the same trick. We should stop before it's too late. There's a river here. We should be able to get to the sea. An island with no humans or curlit. "'Cats will be a good place,' said Ham and Pork. "'Morris didn't let his smile fade, "'even though he knew what curl meant. 
"'And we wouldn't want to keep Morris from his wonderful new job with the conjurer,' said Peaches. Morris's eyes narrowed. For a moment he came close to breaking his iron rule of not eating anyone that could talk. "'What about you, kid?' he said, looking up at the stupid-looking kid. "'I don't mind,' said the kid. "'Don't mind what?' said Morris. "'Don't mind anything, really,' said the kid. "'Just so long as no one stops me playing.' "'But you've got to think of the future,' said Morris. "'I am,' said the kid. "'I want to go on playing my flute in the future. "'It doesn't cost anything to play. "'But maybe the rats are right. "'We've had a couple of narrow squeaks, Morris.' Morris gave the kid a sharp look to see if he was making a joke, but the kid had never done that kind of thing before. He gave up. Well, not exactly gave up. Morris hadn't got where he was by giving up on problems. He just put them to one side. After all, something always turned up. OK, fine, he said. We'll do it one more time and split the money three ways. Fine, not a problem. But if this is going to be the last time, let's make it one to remember, eh? He grinned. The rats, being rats, were not keen on seeing a grinning cat, but they understood that a difficult decision had been made. They breathed tiny sighs of relief. Are you happy with that, kid? said Morris. I can go on playing my flute afterwards, said the kid. Absolutely. OK, said the kid. The money, shiny like the sun and shiny like the moon, was solemnly put back in its bag. The rats dragged the bag under the bushes and buried it. No one could bury money like rats, and it didn't pay to take too much into towns. Then there was the horse. It was a valuable horse, and Morris was... Very, very sorry to turn it loose. But as Peaches pointed out, it was a highwayman's horse, with very ornate saddle and bridle. Trying to sell it here could be dangerous. People would talk. It might attract the attention of the government. This was no time to have the watch on their tails. Morris walked to the edge of the rock and looked down at the town, which was waking up under the sunrise. Let's make this the big one, then, eh? he said as the rats came back. I want to see maximum squeaking and making faces at people and whittling on stuff, OK? We think that whittling on stuff is not really... Dangerous Beans began, but... Ahem, said Peaches, and so Dangerous Beans went on. Oh, I suppose if it's the last time. I've whittled on everything since I was out of the nest, said Ham and Pork. Now they tell me it's not right. If that's what thinking means, I'm glad I don't do any... Let's leave them amazed, said Morris. Rats? They think they've seen rats in that town? After they've seen us, they'll be making up stories. Chapter 2 Mr. Bunsey had a lot of friends in Fairy Bottom, but what Mr. Bunsey was friendly with more than anything else was food. From Mr. Bunsey Has an Adventure. This was the plan. And it was a good plan. Even the rats, even peaches, had to admit that it had worked. Everyone knew about plagues of rats. There were famous stories about the rat pipers who made their living going from town to town, getting rid of plagues of rats. Of course, there weren't just rat plagues. Sometimes there were plagues of accordion players, bricks tied up with string, or fish. But it was the rats everyone knew about. And that, really, was it. You didn't need many rats for a plague if they knew their business. One rat popping up here and there, squeaking loudly, taking a bath in the fresh cream and whittling in the flour, could be a plague all by themselves. After a few days of this, it was amazing how glad people were to see the stupid-looking kid with his magical rat pipe. And they were amazed when rats poured out of every hole to follow him out of town. They were so amazed that they didn't bother much about the fact that there were only a few hundred or so rats. They'd have been really amazed if they'd even found out that the rats and the piper met up with a cat somewhere in the bushes out of town and solemnly counted out the money. Bart Blintz was waking up when Morris entered with the kid. No one bothered them, although Morris got a lot of interest. This did not worry him. He knew he was interesting. Cats walked as if they owned the place anyway, and the world was full of stupid-looking kids, and people weren't rushing to see another one. It looked as though today was a market day, but there weren't many stalls and they were mostly selling 
well, junk, old pans, pots, used shoes, the kind of things people have to sell when they're short of money. Morris had seen plenty of markets on their journey through other towns, and he knew how they should go. There should be fat women selling chickens, he said, and people selling sweets for the kids and ribbons, tumblers and clowns, even weasel jugglers if you're lucky. There's nothing like that. There's hardly anything to buy by the look of it, said the kid. I thought you said this was a rich town, Morris. Well, it looked rich, said Morris. All those big fields in the valley, all those boats on the river. You'd think the streets would be paved with gold. The kid looked up. Funny thing, he said. What? The people look poor, he said. It's the buildings that look rich. And they did. Morris wasn't an expert on architecture, but the wooden buildings had been carefully carved and painted. He noticed something else, too. There was nothing careful about the sign that had been nailed up on the nearest wall. It said, Rats. Wanted. Dead. Fifty pence per tail. Apply to the rat catchers. Care of the rat house. The kid was staring at it. They must really want to get rid of their rats here, said Morris cheerfully. No one has ever offered a reward of half a dollar a tail, said the kid. I told you this would be the big one, said Morris. We'll be sitting on a pile of gold before the week's out. What's a rat house? said the kid doubtfully. It can't be a house for rats, can it? And why is everyone staring at you? I'm a handsome-looking cat, said Morris. Even so, it was a little surprising. People were nudging one another and pointing at him. You'd think they'd never seen a cat before, he muttered, staring at the big building across the street. It was a big, square building, surrounded by people, and the sign said, Rat House. Oh, Rat House is just a local word for a... Like the council house, the town hall, he said. It's nothing to do with rats, amusing though it may be. You really know a lot of words, Morris, said the kid admiringly. I amaze myself sometimes, said Morris. A queue of people were standing in front of one huge open door. Other people, who had presumably done whatever it was the queue was queuing to do, were emerging from another doorway in ones and twos. They were all carrying loaves of bread. Shall we queue up too, said the kid. I shouldn't think so, said Morris carefully. Why not? See those men on the door? They look like watchmen. They got big truncheons and everyone's showing them a bit of paper as they go past. I don't like the look of that, said Morris. That looks like government to me. We haven't done anything wrong, said the kid. Not here, anyway. You never know with governments, said Morris. Just stay here, kid. I'll take a look. People stared at Morris when he stalked into the building, but it seemed that in a town beset by rats, a cat was quite popular, and no one was inclined to turn him out. A man did try to pick him up, but lost interest when Morris turned and clawed the back of his hand. The queue wound into a big hall and passed in front of a long trestle table. There, each person showed their piece of paper to two women in front of a big tray of bread and were given some bread. Then they moved on to a man with a vat of sausages and got considerably less sausage. Watching over all this and occasionally saying something to the food servers was the mayor. Morris recognised him instantly because he had a gold chain round his neck. He'd run across a lot of mares since working with the rats. This one was different from the rest. He was smaller, far more worried, and had got a bald spot that he tried to cover with three stands of hair. He was a lot thinner than the other mares Morris had seen too. He didn't look as though he'd been bought by the ton. So, food is scarce, Morris thought. They're having to ration it out. Looks like they'll be needing a piper any day now. Lucky for us, we arrived just in time. He walked out again, but this time a bit faster, because he realised that someone was playing a pipe. It was, as he feared, the kid. He'd do it if you left him alone for any length of time. He'd put his cap on the ground in front of him, and had even accumulated a few coins. The queue had bent around so that people could hear him, and one or two small children were dancing. Morris was only an expert on cat singing, which consists of standing two inches in front of another cat and screaming at them until they give in. Human music always sounded thin and watery to him, but people tapped their feet when they heard the kid play. They smiled for a while. Morris waited until the kid had finished the tune, 
While the queue was clapping, he sidled up behind the kid, brushed up against him and hissed, "'Well done, fish for brains. We're supposed to be inconspicuous. Come on, let's go. Oh, grab the money, too.' He led the way across the square until he stopped so suddenly that the kid almost walked into him. "'Whoops, here comes some more government,' he said. "'And we know what these are, don't we?' The kid did. They were rat catchers, two of them. Even here they wore the long, dusty coats and battered black top hats of their profession. They each carried a pole over one shoulder, from which dangled a variety of traps. From the other shoulder hung a big bag, the kind you really wouldn't want to look inside. And each man had a terrier on a string. They were skinny, argumentative dogs, and they growled at Morris when they were dragged past. The queue cheered as the men approached and clapped when they both reached into their bags and held up a couple of handfuls of what looked, to Morris, like black string. Two hundred today, shouted one of the rat-catchers. One of the terriers lunged at Morris, tugging frantically on his string. The cat didn't move. Probably only the stupid-looking kid heard him say in a low voice, Heel, flea-bag, bad dog. The terrier's face screwed up in the horribly worried expression of a dog trying to have two thoughts at the same time. It knew cats shouldn't talk, and this cat had just talked. This posed a terrible problem. The dog sat down awkwardly and whined. Morris washed himself. It was a deadly insult. The rat-catcher, annoyed at such a cowardly performance from his dog, jerked it away, and dropped a few of the black strings. "'Rat's tails,' said the kid. "'They really must have a problem here.' "'A bigger one than you think,' said Morris, staring at the bunch of tails, "'Just pick those up when no one's looking, will you?' The kid waited until people weren't looking towards them and reached down. Just as his fingers touched the tangle of tails, a large, shiny black boot trod heavily on it. "'Now you don't want to go touching them, young sir,' said a voice above him. "'You can get plague, you know, from rats. It makes your legs explode.' It was one of the rat-catchers. He gave the kid a big grin, but it was not a humorous one. It smelled a beer. "'That's right, young sir, and then your brains come down your nose,' said the other rat-catcher, coming up behind the kid. "'You wouldn't dare use your hanky, young sir, if you got the plague.' "'My associate has, as usual, put his finger right on it, young sir,' said the first rat-catcher, breathing more beer into the kid's face. "'Which is more than you'd be able to do, young sir,' said rat-catcher too, "'because when you get the plague your fingers go all—' "'Your legs haven't exploded,' said the kid. Morris groaned. It was never a good idea to be rude to a smell of beer. But the rat-catchers were at a stage where, against all the odds, they thought they were funny. "'Ah, well said, young sir, but that's because lesson one at the Guild of Rat-catchers' school is not letting your legs explode,' said rat-catcher one. "'Which is a good thing, cause the second lesson is upstairs,' said rat-catcher two. "'Oh, I am a one, aren't I, young sir?' The other rat-catcher picked up the bundle of black strings, and his smile faded as he stared at the kid. "'Ain't I seen you before, kid?' he said. "'And my advice to you is, keep your nose clean and don't say nothing to nobody about anything. Not a word. Understand?' The kid opened his mouth and then shut it hurriedly. The rat-catcher grinned his awful grin again. "'Ah, you'll catch on quick, young sir,' he said. "'Perhaps we'll see you around, eh?' "'I bet you'd like to be a rat-catcher when you grow up, eh, young sir?' said rat-catcher too, patting the kid too heavily on the back. The kid nodded. It seemed the best thing to do. Rat-catcher one leaned down until his red, pock-marked nose was an inch away from the kid's face. "'If you grow up, young sir,' he said. The rat-catchers walked away, dragging their dogs with them. One of the terriers kept looking back at Morris. "'Very unusual rat-catchers they have hereabouts,' said the cat. "'I haven't seen rat-catchers like them before,' said the kid. "'They looks nasty, like they enjoyed it.' "'I haven't seen rat-catchers who've been so busy, "'but still have nice clean boots,' said Morris. "'Yes, they did, didn't they?' said the kid. "'But even that's not as odd as the rats around here,' said Morris, "'in the same quiet voice, as though he was adding up money.' "'What's odd about the rats?' said the kid. "'Some of them have very strange tails,' said Morris. The kid looked round the square. The queue for bread was still quite long, and it made him nervous. 
but so did the steam. Little bursts of it puffed up from gratings and manhole covers all over the place, as if the whole town had been built on a kettle. Also, he had the distinct feeling that someone was watching him. "'I think we ought to find the rats and move on,' he said. "'No, this smells like a town with opportunities,' said Morris. "'Something's going on, and when something's going on, that means someone's getting rich. "'And when someone's getting rich, I don't see why that should be m "'us.' "'Yes, but we don't want those people killing dangerous beans and the rest of them. "'They won't get caught.' said Morris. Those men wouldn't win any prizes for thinking. Even ham and pork could run rings round M, I'd say. And Dangerous Beans has got brains coming out of his ears. I hope not. Nana, said Morris, who generally told people what they wanted to hear. I mean, our rats can outthink most humans, OK? Remember back in Scrote when sardines got in that kettle and blew a raspberry at the old woman when she lifted the lid? Ha! Even ordinary rats can outthink humans. Humans think that just because they're bigger, they're better. Hold on. I'll shut up. Someone's watching us. A man carrying a basket had stopped on his way out of the rat house and was staring at Morris with a good deal of interest. Then he looked up at the kid and said, Good ratter, is he? I'll bet he is. Big cat like that. Is he yours, boy? Say yes, Morris whispered. Sort of, yes, said the kid. He picked Morris up. "'I'll give you five dollars for him,' said the man. "'Ask for ten, Morris hissed. "'He's not for sale,' said the kid. "'Idiot,' Morris purred. Seven dollars, then,' said the man. "'Look, I'll tell you what I'll do. Four whole loaves of bread. How about that?' "'That's silly. A loaf of bread shouldn't cost more than twenty pence,' said the kid. The man gave him a strange look. "'New here, are you? Got plenty of money, have you?' "'Enough,' said the kid. "'You think so? It won't do you much good anyway. "'Look, four loaves of bread and a bun. "'I can't say fairer than that. "'I can get a terrier for ten loaves, and they're mad for rats. "'No?' "'Well, when you're hungry, you'll give it away "'for half a slice of bread and scrape, "'and think you've done well, believe me.' Uh, "'Scrape. "'You scrape the butter on, then you scrape the butter off. "'Then you eat the bread.' "'He strode off.' Morris wriggled out of the kid's arms and landed lightly on the cobbles. Honestly, if only I was good at ventriloquism, we could have made a fortune, he grumbled. Ventriloquism, said the kid, watching the man's retreating back. It's where you open and shut your mouth and I do the talking, said Morris. Why didn't you sell me? I could have been back in ten minutes. I heard of a man who made a fortune selling homing pigeons, and he only had the one. "'But don't you think there's something wrong with a town "'where people would pay more than a dollar for a loaf of bread?' said the kid. "'And pay half a dollar just for a rat's tail?' "'Just so long as they've got enough money to pay their piper,' said Morris. "'Bit of luck there already being a plague of rats here, eh? "'Quick, pat me on the head, there's a girl watching us.' "'The kid looked up. "'There was a girl watching them. "'People were passing up and down the street.' and some of them walked between the kid and the girl, but she stood stock-still and just stared at him. And at Morris. She had the same nail-you-to-the-wall look that he associated with Peaches. She looked like the kind of person who asked questions. And her hair was too red, and her nose was too long, and she wore a long black dress with black lace fringing. No good comes of that sort of thing. She marched across the street and confronted the kid. "'You're new, aren't you? "'Come here looking for work, have you? "'Probably sacked from your last job, I expect. "'Probably because you fell asleep and things got spoiled. "'That was probably what it was. "'Or you ran away because your master beat you with a big stick. "'Although,' she added, as another idea struck her, "'you probably deserved it because of being lazy. "'And then you probably stole the cat, "'knowing how much people would pay for a cat here.' And you must have gone mad with hunger because you were talking to the cat and everyone knows that cats can't talk. Can't say a single word, said Morris. And probably you're a mysterious boy who... The girl stopped and gave Morris a puzzled look. He arched his back and said, which is cat language for biscuits. Did that cat just say something? She demanded. 
I thought that everyone knew that cats can't talk, said the kid. Ah, but maybe you were apprenticed to a wizard, said the girl. Yes, that sounds about right. That'll do for now. You were an apprentice to a wizard, but you fell asleep and let the cauldron of bubbling green stuff boil over and he threatened to turn you into a... 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 gerbil, said Morris helpfully. A gerbil, and you stole his magical cat because you hated it so much, and... What's a gerbil? Did that cat just say gerbil? Don't look at me, said the kid. I'm just standing here. All right, and then you brought the cat here because you know there's a terrible famine, and that's why you're going to sell it, and that man would have given you ten dollars, you know, if you'd held out for it. Ten dollars is too much money even for a good ratter, said the kid. Ratter? He wasn't interested in catching rats, said the red-headed girl. Everyone's hungry here. There's at least two meals on that cat. What? You eat cats here? said Morris, his tail fluffing like a brush. The girl leaned down to Morris with a dreadful grin, just like the one that Peaches always wore when she'd won an argument with him, and prodded him on the nose with a finger. Got you, she said. You fell for a very simple trick. I think you two had better come with me, don't you? Or I'll scream. And people listen to me when I'm screaming. Chapter 3 "'Never go into the dark wood, my friend,' said Ratty Rupert. "'There are bad things in there.' "'From Mr. Bunsey has an adventure.' "'Far below Morris's paws the rats were creeping through the undertown of Bartblintz. "'Old towns are like that. People build down as well as up. "'Sellers butt against other sellers, and some of the sellers get forgotten, "'except by creatures that want to stay out of sight.' In the thick, warm, damp darkness, a voice said, "'All right, who's got the matches?' Uh, "'Me, Dangerous Beans. Feeds four. "'Well done, young rat. And who has the candle?' Uh, "'Me, sir. I'm bite-size.' Um, "'It's hard to translate sir into rat. "'The rat's word for sir isn't a word. "'It's a sort of momentary crouch, indicating that, just at the moment, "'the crouching rat is prepared to accept that the other rat is the boss, "'but that he, or she, shouldn't get funny about it. Good. Put it down and peaches will light it. There was a lot of scuffling in the darkness. Not all the rats had got used to the idea of making fire, and they were getting out of the way. There was a scratching noise, and then the match flared. Holding the match with both front paws, peaches lit the candle stub. The flame swelled for a moment and settled down to a steady glow. Can you really see it? said Hammond Pork. Yes, sir said Dangerous Beans. I am not completely blind. I can tell the difference between light and dark. You know, said Hammond Pork, watching the flame suspiciously, I don't like it at all. Even so, darkness was good enough for our parents. It'll end in trouble. Besides, setting fire to a candle is a waste of perfectly good food. We have to be able to control the fire, sir, said Dangerous Beans calmly. With the flame, we make a statement to the darkness. We say... We are separate. We say, we are not just rats. We say, we are the clan. Hmm, said Hammond Pork, which was his usual response when he didn't understand what had just been said. Just lately, he'd been hmming a lot. I've heard the younger rats are saying that the shadows frightened them, said Peaches. Why, said Hammond Pork, they're not frightened of complete darkness, are they? Darkness is ratty. "'Being in the dark is what a rat is all about.' "'It's odd,' said Peaches, "'but we didn't know the shadows were there until we had the light.' "'One of the younger rats timorously raised a paw. "'Um, and even when the light has gone out, "'we know the shadows are still around,' it said. "'Dangerous beans turned towards the young rat. "'You're,' he said. "'Delicious,' said the younger rat. "'Well, delicious,' said Dangerous Beans in a kindly voice. "'Being afraid of shadows is all part of us becoming more intelligent, I think. "'Your mind is working out that there's a you, "'and there's also everything outside you. "'So now you're not just frightened of things that you can see and hear and smell, "'but also of things that you can sort of see inside your head. "'Learning to face the shadows outside helps us to fight the shadows inside, "'and you can control all the darkness.' It's a big step forward. Well done. Delicious looked slightly proud, but mostly nervous. 
"'I don't see the point myself,' said Hammond Pork. "'We used to do all right on the dump, and I was never scared of anything.' "'We were prey to every stray cat and hungry dog, sir,' said Dangerous Beans. "'Oh, well, if we're going to talk about cats,' growled Hammond Pork. "'I think we can trust Morris, sir,' said Dangerous Beans. "'Perhaps not when it comes to money, I admit. "'But he is very good at not eating people who talk, you know. "'He checks every time.' "'You can trust a cat to be a cat,' said Hammond Pork. "'Dorking or not?' "'Yes, sir, but we are different, and so is he.' "'I believe he is a decent cat at heart.' Um, that remains to be seen,' said Peaches. "'But now we are here, let's get organised.' Hammond Pork growled. "'Who are you to say, let's get organised?' he said sharply. "'Are you the leader, young female, who refuses to rook?' "'No, I am the leader. It's my job to say, let's get organised.' "'Yes, sir,' said Peaches, crouching low. "'How would you like us to be organised, sir?' Hammond Pork stared at her. He looked at the waiting rats with their packs and bundles and then around at the ancient cellar and then back to the still-crouching peaches. "'Just get organised,' he muttered. "'Don't bother me with details. I am a leader.' And he stalked off into the shadows. When he'd gone, peaches and dangerous beans looked around the cellar, which was filling with trembling shadows created by the candlelight. A trickle of water ran down one crusted wall, here and there stones had fallen out, leaving inviting holes. Earth covered the floor, and there were no human footprints in it. "'An ideal base,' said Dangerous Beans. "'It smells secret and safe. A perfect place for rats.' "'Right,' said a voice. "'And you know what's worrying me about that?' The rat, called Dark Tan, stepped into the candlelight and hitched up one of his belts of tools. A lot of the watching rats suddenly paid attention. People listened to Hammond Pork because he was the leader, but they listened to Dark Tan because he was often telling you things that you really, really needed to know if you wanted to go on living. He was big and lean and tough and spent most of his time taking traps apart to see how they worked. "'What is worrying you, Dark Tan?' said Dangerous Beans. "'There aren't any rats here, except us. "'Rat tunnels, yes, but we see no rats, no rats at all.' A town like this should be full of them. Oh, they're probably scared of us, said Peaches. Dark Tan tapped the side of his scarred muzzle. Maybe, he said. But things don't smell right. Thinking is a great invention, but we were given noses and it pays to listen to them. Be extra careful. He turned to the assembled rats and raised his voice. OK, troops, you know the drill, he shouted. Plague rats in front of me, in your platoons, now. It didn't take long for the rats to form three groups. They'd had plenty of practice. Very nice, said Dark Tan, as the last few shuffled into position. Right, this is tricky territory, people, so we're going to be careful. Dark Tan was unusual among the rats because he wore things. When the rats had discovered books, and the whole idea of books was still a difficult one for most of the older rats, they found in the bookshop they invaded every night the book. Up until they were changed... Books had only been useful for eating the glue off the bindings and making nests out of the pages. They'd never looked at one before. This book was amazing. Even before Peaches and Donut Enter had learned how to read human words, they'd been amazed by the pictures. There were animals in there wearing clothes. There was a rabbit who walked on its hind legs and wore a blue suit. There was a rat in a hat, and he wore a sword and a big red waistcoat, complete with a watch on a chain. Even the snake had a collar and tie. And all of them talked, and none of them ate any of the others, and this was the unbelievable part. They all talked to humans, who treated them like, well, smaller humans. There were no traps, no poisons. Admittedly, according to Peaches, who was painstakingly working her way through the book and sometimes read out parts, Ollie the snake was a bit of a rascal, but nothing truly bad happened. Even when the rabbit got lost in the dark wood, he just had a bit of a scare. Yes, Mr Bunsey has an adventure was the cause of much discussion amongst the changelings. What was it for? Was it, as dangerous beans believed, a vision of some bright future? Had it been made by humans? 
The shop had been for humans, true, but surely even humans wouldn't make a book about Ratty Rupert the Rat, who wore a hat and poisoned rats under the floorboards at the same time, would they? How mad would anything have to be to think like that? Some of the younger rats had suggested that perhaps clothes were more important than everyone thought. They tried wearing waistcoats, but it had been very difficult to bite out the pattern. They couldn't make the buttons work, and frankly, the things got caught on every splinter and were very hard to run in. Hats just fell off. Dark Tan just thought that humans were mad as well as bad, but the pictures in the book had given him an idea. What he wore was not so much a waistcoat as a network of wide belts, easy to wriggle in and out of. On them he'd sewn pockets, and that had been a good idea, like giving yourself extra hands, to hold all the things he needed, like metal rods and bits of wire. Some of the rest of the squad had taken up the idea too. You never knew what you were going to need next on the trap disposal squad. It was a tough, ratty life. The rods and wires jangled as Dark Tan walked up and down in front of his teams. He stopped in front of one large group of younger rats. All right, number three platoon, you're on whittling duty, he said. Go and have a good drink. Oh, we're always on whittling, a rat complained. Dark Tan pounced on it and faced it nose to nose until it backed away. That's cause you're good at it, my lad. Your mother raised you to be a whittler, so off you go and do what comes naturally. Nothing puts humans off like seeing that rats have been there before, if you catch my meaning. And if you get the opportunity, do some gnawing as well. And run around under the floorboards and squeak. And remember, no one is to move in until they get the all clear from the trap squad. To the water now, at the double. Hup, hup, hup. One, two, one, two, one, two. The platoon headed off at speed. Dark Tan turned to number two platoon. They were some of the older rats, scarred and bitten and ragged. Some of them with stubs of tails or no tails at all. Some of them missing a paw or an ear or an eye. In fact, although there were about twenty of them, they had between them only enough bits to make up about seventeen complete rats. But because they were old, they were cunning. Because a rat who isn't cunning and shifty and suspicious doesn't become an old rat. They'd all been grown up when the intelligence came. They were more set in their old ways. Hammond Pork always said he liked them that way. They still had a lot of the basic rattiness, the kind of raw cunning that would get you out of the traps that overexcited intelligence got you into. They thought with their noses, and you didn't have to tell them where to whittle. All right, people, you know the drill, said Dark Tan. I want to see lots of cheeky stuff. Stealing the food out of cat's bowls, pies from under the cook's noses. False teeth from out of old men's mouths, said a small rat who seemed to be dancing on the spot while he stood there. His feet moved all the time, tippity-tapping on the cellar floor. He wore a hat, too, a battered, homemade thing out of straw. He was the only rat who could make a hat work by wedging his ears through it. He said to get ahead, you had to get a hat. That was a fluke, sardines. I bet you can't do it again, said Dark Tan, grinning. And don't keep on telling the kids how you went for a swim in someone's bathtub. Yeah, I know you did, for I don't want to lose anyone who can't scramble out of a slippery tub. Anyway, if I don't hear ladies screaming and running out of their kitchens within ten minutes, I'll know you're not the rats I think you are. Well, why are you standing around? Get on with it. And sardines? Yes, boss? Easy on the tap dancing this time, all right? I just got these dancing feet, boss. And do you have to keep wearing that stupid hat? said Dark Tan, grinning. Yes, boss. Sardines was one of the older rats, but most of the time you wouldn't know it. He danced and joked and never got into fights. He'd lived in a theatre and once eaten a whole box of grease paint. It seemed to have got into his blood. And now going on ahead of the trap squad, said Dark Tan. Sardines grinned. Oh, boss, can't I have any fun? He danced after the rest of them towards the holes in the walls. Dark Tan moved on to number one platoon. It was the smallest. You had to be a certain kind of rat to last a long time in the trap disposal squad. You had to be slow and patient and thorough. You had to have a good memory. You had to be careful. You could join the squad if you were fast and slapdash and hasty. You just didn't last very long. He looked them up and down and smiled. He was proud of these rats. OK, people, you know it all by now, he said. You don't need a long lecture from me. Just remember that this is a new town, so we don't know what we're going to find. 
There's bound to be plenty of new types of traps, but we learn fast, don't we? Poisons too. They might be using stuff we've never run across before, so be careful. Never rush, never run. We don't want to be like the first mouse, eh? No, Dark Tan, the rats chorused dutifully. I said, what mouse don't we want to be like? Dark Tan demanded. We don't want to be like the first mouse, shouted the rats. Right, what mouse do we want to be like? The second mouse, Dark Tan, said the rats, like people who'd had this lesson dinned into them many times. Right, and why do we want to be like the second mouse? Because the second mouse gets the cheese, Dark Tan. Good, said Dark Tan. In Brian will take squad two. Best before? You're promoted, you take squad three. And I hope you're as good as old Farmhouse was, right up until the time she forgot how to disengage the trip catch on a snippet and poison rat snapper number five. Overconfidence is our enemy. So, if you see anything suspicious, any little trays you don't recognise, anything with wires and springs and stuff, you mark it and send a runner to me, yes? End of CD1